Section 48 of Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. Case Studies, Chapter 9, Part 3. History of Prison Research Regulation dr paulson reported in a recent interview that he had asked a lot of people in nineteen sixty three about the use of prisoners as research subjects he went on to say that at that time no one said no to the use of such subjects in his research however dr paulson explained in the same interview that he had started to sense a shift in public opinion around nineteen seventy in particular he pointed to comments critical of prison experimentation that he had heard at a new york academy of sciences conference new dimensions in legal and ethical concepts for human research which he attended in the spring of nineteen sixty nine of course we cannot rely solely on dr paulson's recollections to provide historical context for experiments in which he was so intimately involved and which have now become controversial but ample evidence suggests that dr paulson was essentially correct in his impression that testicular irradiation experiments in washington and oregon bridged a transitional period in the history of human experimentation generally and particularly in the history of experimentation in american prisons isolated incidents of prison-based research before world war ii formed the foundation for a practice that would become firmly embedded in the structure of american clinical research during world war ii perhaps the most significant wartime medical research project in which american scientists employed prisoners as research subjects was centered in illinois statesville prison beginning in nineteen forty four hundreds of illinois prisoners submitted to experimental cases of malaria as researchers attempted to find more effective means to prevent and cure tropical diseases that ravaged allied forces in the pacific theatre in nineteen forty seven a committee was established by the governor of illinois to examine the ethics of using state prisoners as research subjects the committee was chaired by andrew ivy a prominent university of illinois physiologist and the chief expert witness on medical ethics for the prosecutors at the nuremberg medical trial where prison research was a salient topic see chapter two the committee pronounced the wartime experiments at statesville prison ideal in their conformity with the newly adopted rules of the american medical association concerning human experimentation the ama rules which ivy had played a key role in developing included provisions stipulating voluntary consent from subjects prior animal experimentation and carefully managed research under the authority of properly qualified clinical researchers perhaps most significantly the findings of ivy's committee were announced to the american medical community when the group's final report was reproduced in the journal of the american medical association the appearance of this report in the nation's leading medical journal both represented and reinforced the sentiment that prison research was ethically acceptable publicly aired assertions that experimentation on prisoners relied on exploitation or coercion were extremely rare in the united states before the late nineteen sixties one criticism of medical research behind bars did however emerge with some frequency prisoners who participated in research were somehow escaping from their just measures of punishment 
inmates were usually offered rewards in exchange for their scientific services ranging from more comfortable surroundings to cash to early release perhaps the most powerful statement of the concern that convicts should not receive special treatment because they had participated in an experiment came from the ama in 1952, this organization formally approved a resolution stating its disapproval of the participation in scientific experiments of persons convicted of murder, rape, arson, kidnapping, treason, or other heinous crimes. The AMA was alarmed that some such criminals have not only received citations, but have in some instances been granted parole much sooner than would otherwise have occurred in the organ testicular irradiation experiments it appears that this recommendation against using inmates accused of heinous crimes was not always observed it should be noted that the use of prisoners as research subjects seems to have been a uniquely american practice in the years following world war ii the large-scale successes of prison experimentation during world war ii and the authoritative pronouncement of the ivy committee that prison research could be conducted in an ethical fashion seemed to have given the practice a kind of momentum in this country that it did not have elsewhere in other countries it seems that the first clause of the nuremberg code was interpreted to preclude the use of prisoners in experimentation this clause begins with the assertion that the only acceptable experimental subjects are those who are so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice it is difficult to overemphasize just how common the practice became in the united states during the post-war years researchers employed prisoners as subjects in a multitude of experiments that ranged in purpose from a desire to understand the cause of cancer to a need to test the effects of a new cosmetic after the food and drug administration's restructuring of drug testing regulations in nineteen sixty two prisoners became almost the exclusive subjects in non-federally funded phase one pharmaceutical trials designed to test the toxicity of new drugs by 1972, FDA officials estimated that more than 90% of all investigational drugs were first tested on prisoners. It appears that throughout the history of medical experimentation on American prisoners, many inmates have valued the opportunity to participate in medical research. One must quickly add that such an observation points to the paucity of opportunities open to most prisoners the common perception among inmates that participating in a medical experiment was a good opportunity has had an important impact on the racial aspects of prison experimentation because of the large numbers of african americans in prison and the overt racial exploitation of the notorious tuskegee syphilis study in which black men with syphilis were observed but not treated it might be assumed that minorities predominated as research subjects in prisons the opposite has generally been true white prisoners have usually been overrepresented in the privileged role of research subject in most prison studies before and during world war ii it seems that all of the research subjects were white in nineteen seventy five the national commission for the protection of human subjects of biomedical and behavioral research carefully examined the racial composition of the research subjects at a prison with a major drug testing program 
the commission found that african americans made up only thirty one per cent of the subject population while this racial minority formed sixty eight per cent of the general prison population the shift in public opinion against the use of prisoners as research subjects which began in the late nineteen sixties was no doubt tied to many other social and political changes sweeping the country the civil rights movement the women's movement the patients rights movement the prisoners rights movement and the general questioning of authority associated with the anti-vietnam war protests but as has been common in the history of human experimentation scandal galvanized public attention brought official inquiry and resulted in significant change a major scandal in prison experimentation came when the new york times published a front-page article on july twenty ninth nineteen sixty nine detailing an ethically and scientifically sloppy drug testing program that a physician had established in the state prisons of alabama even more sensational was jessica mitford's january nineteen seventy three atlantic monthly article in this article mitford portrayed experimentation on prisoners as a practice built on exploitation and coercion of an extremely disadvantaged class when the article reappeared later in nineteen seventy three as a chapter in her widely read book critiquing american prisons she had come up with an especially provocative and suggestive title for this section of the book cheaper than chimpanzees mitford and most of the growing number who condemned experimentation on prisoners during the nineteen seventies and after offered two arguments against the practice first prisoners were identified as incapable of offering voluntary consent because of a belief that most some argued all prisons are inherently coercive environments another line of argument was based on a principle of justice that stipulated that one class especially a disadvantaged class such as prisoners should not be expected to carry an undue burden of service in the realm of medical research a few months after the publication of mitford's article senator edward m kennedy of massachusetts held hearings to investigate human experimentation kennedy was primarily fired into action by the revelations of the tuskegee syphilis study which made headlines in nineteen seventy two but he devoted one full day of his hearings to the issue of prison experimentation the chief outcome of kennedy's hearings was the formation of the national commission for the protection of human subjects of biomedical and behavioral research which among other topics was specifically charged with investigating experimentation on prisoners see chapter three the eleven commissioners including advisory committee member patricia king with the assistance of twenty staff members gathered a wealth of data on prison medical research made site visits to prisons held extensive public hearings and engaged in long debates among themselves after their deliberations the commission concluded that it was inclined toward protection as the most appropriate expression of respect for prisoners as persons but the commission did not call for an absolute ban on the use of prisoners in medical research a steadfast minority on the commission held to the belief that prisoners should not arbitrarily be denied the opportunity to participate in medical research an excursion to the state prison of southern michigan where upjohn and park davis pharmaceutical companies had cooperatively built and maintained a large phase one drug testing facility served to reinforce the opinions of this contingent 
in candid conversations with the visiting commissioners randomly selected inmates spoke in convincing terms about their support for the drug testing program in the michigan prison the commission's final report reflected this hesitancy to call for a complete halt to the use of prisoners in non-therapeutic experimentation the commission recommended that prisoners could be considered ethically acceptable experimental subjects if three requirements were satisfied one the reasons for involving prisoners in research were compelling two the involvement of the prisoners satisfied conditions of equity and three subjects lived in a prison characterized by a great deal of openness in which a prisoner could exercise a high degree of voluntariness the final requirement involved a detailed prison accreditation scheme intended to ensure the possibility of voluntary consent the national commission derived its primary power from the fact that the secretary of the department of health education and welfare dhew was legally compelled to respond to the commission's findings and to justify the rejection of any commission recommendations joseph califano dhew secretary in the carter administration spent nearly a year formulating his response regarding the use of prisoners in medical research califano explored the possibility of an accreditation scheme as suggested by the commission however in a letter to the commission califano reported that the american correctional association the one currently qualified prison accrediting organization had no interest in accrediting correctional institutions as performance sites for medical research on the contrary califano went on to explain the aca had recently decided it would not fully accredit any institution which permitted research on prisoners after his interchange with the ACA, Califano ultimately decided to issue regulations that, for almost all intents and purposes, brought an end to federally funded, non-therapeutic medical research in American prisons. In the interest of uniform federal regulations, Secretary Califano also directed the FDA to issue similar rules governing the use of prisoners in research that the FDA accepted to satisfy its regulatory requirements the fda published final rules in the spring of nineteen eighty that were intended on the planned effective date of june first nineteen eighty one to eliminate prisons as acceptable sites for non-therapeutic pharmaceutical testing however in july of nineteen eighty almost a year before the fda's regulations were scheduled to take effect a group of prisoners at the state prison of southern michigan filed suit against the federal government these inmates claimed that the impending fda regulations threatened to violate their right to choose participation in medical research the case was settled out of court when fda attorneys decided to reclassify the agency's prison drug testing regulations as indefinitely stayed the fda's regulations still exist in this bureaucratic limbo but even before the fda issued its proposed regulations on the use of prisoners in drug testing pharmaceutical companies had already largely abandoned a practice that had been so widespread only a few years earlier most significantly pharmaceutical researchers along with other medical scientists had discovered that sufficient numbers of experimental subjects could be found beyond prison walls students and poor people proved to be especially viable alternative populations from which to draw participants for non-therapeutic experiments if the cash rewards were sufficient 
the growing controversy surrounding the use of prisoners as research subjects combined with the realization that they could find enough alternate subjects for their needs led drug companies to make decisions that were based not so much on ethics as expediency the comments of an administrator associated with an eli lilly testing operation at an indiana prison are revealing and provide a fitting conclusion to this brief historical analysis the reason we closed the doggone thing down was that we were getting too much hassle and heat from the press it just didn't seem worth it ethical considerations it is quite clear that all of the radiation experiments that have come to the advisory committee's attention in which prisoners were employed as research subjects would have been in violation of federal standards as they exist today federal regulation stipulates an extremely limited range of permissible medical research in prison populations only four types of investigations concurrently receive approval one low-risk studies of the possible causes effects and processes of incarceration and of criminal behavior two low-risk studies of prisons as institutional structures or of prisoners as incarcerated persons three research on conditions particularly affecting prisoners as a class for example vaccine trials and other research on hepatitis which is much more prevalent in prisons than elsewhere and four research that has the intent and reasonable probability of improving the health or well-being of the subject almost certainly none of the various episodes of radiation research on prisoners treated in this chapter would have fallen into any one of these categories but as noted above widespread concern about coercion and exploitation of prisoner subjects which brought about these restrictive federal regulations arose relatively recently in this country for the period before roughly nineteen seventy it is almost certainly unfair to condemn in retrospect a research program as unethical solely because researchers employed prisoners as subjects historical sensitivity demands some appreciation for what seems to have been a genuine lack of widespread professional or public concern for the ethical problems of prison research that came to the fore during the nineteen seventies only in the case of the washington and oregon testicular irradiation experiments do we know enough to make any legitimate claims about the extent to which researchers conformed with reasonable contemporary standards for the ethical conduct of prison experimentation and even for these relatively well-known studies the individual complexities of each series of experiments have grown hazier with time one of the first known efforts to examine the ethics of using prisoners as research subjects was organized by the law medicine research institute lmri of boston university the conference was called the participation of prisoners in clinical research and it opened on february twelfth nineteen sixty two the conference was part of a larger lmri project to study and report on the actual practices attitudes and philosophies currently being applied in the legal and ethical aspects of clinical investigation see chapter two lmri's conference on prison research was one of several invitational work conferences organized to gather information on several important topics in human experimentation other conferences were devoted to the concept of consent, P. 
pediatric research and pharmaceutical testing the participants at each conference received an agenda and briefing book in advance of the meetings but discussions tended to be free-ranging those who attended the conferences understood that their words were being recorded but they tended to speak in a frank and revealing fashion because lmri pledged to preserve their anonymity when reporting on the meetings a copy of the list of participants at the conference on the participation of prisoners in clinical research which survives at boston university confirms the following characterization of those who attended the thirty-six invited participants comprised two main categories the first was composed of clinical research administrators and clinical investigators with a variety of academic commercial and governmental affiliations who have had experience in conducting medical studies with prisoners as subjects the second category consisted of prison administrators and prison medical officers with various federal state and municipal correctional programs also participating in the conference were representatives of various related fields such as behavioral science criminal law organized medicine pharmaceutical manufacturing and the military services unfortunately a copy of the actual meeting transcript has not survived however the lengthy unpublished analytic summary which contains many anonymous transcript excerpts seems to be a fair representation of the day-long meeting it is relatively easy to extract several important points of agreement about the proper conduct of experimentation in prisons from this report and given the broad cross-section of those involved in prison experimentation who attended this nineteen sixty two conference it seems reasonable to employ the standards enunciated at this conference as evidence of prevailing interpretation of ethical standards for prisoner experiments that began in nineteen sixty three first the conferees generally agreed that experimental risks must be balanced against benefits in the case of research that was not intended to be of potential direct benefit to the subject which was generally the case in prison experiments most meeting participants believed that the social or scientific value of new knowledge that might result from an experiment should be weighed as a benefit however when confronted with the direct question of whether or not a relatively high degree of risk can ever constitute a legitimate reason for the use of prisoner subjects the conferees were almost unanimous in rejecting this position interestingly those at the conference believed that the general public was less inclined to worry about subjecting prisoners to high levels of experimental risk two brief transcript excerpts are revealing when the public hears that inmates are participating in a seemingly very hazardous study they rationalize well i wouldn't do it but it's all right with prisoners the public will allow the investigator to go a lot further with regard to risks taken with prisoners than the investigator would go himself the conferees spent a large portion of their day together discussing the matter of consent they reached agreement that meaningful consent should be both voluntary and informed provided the reach of these terms is carefully circumscribed the report stated the legal prerequisites of consent are first not absolute free will but sufficient free choice to avoid coercion or duress and second not absolutely perfect knowledge but enough information to avoid fraud or deceit 
the conference participants unanimously agreed that rewards offered to prisoner volunteers should not be so high as to invalidate their consent to participate as research subjects there seems to have been considerable disagreement about exactly where to draw the line between ethically acceptable and unacceptable rewards to prisoners for service as experimental subjects but there was a general desire to minimize rewards because it was consistent with the penological desirability of maximizing prisoners opportunity for altruism as for sentence reductions some thought that small amounts of good time credits were appropriate but all agreed that maximum rewards of this type i e definite promises of pardon or parole should not be given there seems to have been little discussion of the possibility that the authoritarian structure of prison life was in itself coercive and therefore limited a prisoner's ability to make an autonomous decision the disclosure component of consent received extensive attention at the conference the following was offered as a summation of what the conferees perceived as the essential content and emphasis of the information that should be conveyed to prospective prisoner subjects the explanation of a clinical research project should describe completely the procedures entailed and should stress the possible consequences of these procedures even though it may be necessary to stop somewhere short of full revelation when you reach intricacies a layman would never comprehend there should be no omission of any adverse consequences detriments or risks to strive toward this level of communication the conference participants cited procedures that were usually followed in most prison experiments a general announcement of the research project to the inmates usually by notices posted on bulletin boards or printed in prison newsletters a general explanation of the project often in an auditorium to groups of prisoners who expressed initial interest in an experiment and finally one-on-one -on -one meetings between prospective participants and research personnel conferees who had administered or conducted prison experiments also reported that prisoner subjects usually signed some type of consent agreement generally speaking the provisions specified above were followed in the washington and oregon experiments but the information provided was often inadequate even with all of these measures some meeting participants asserted that the ideals of comprehension evaluation and decision on the part of prisoners were seldom attained in practice they pointed to two general difficulties in achieving these ideals first the lack of intelligence education or medical sophistication among many prisoners second they cited various motives or pressures which so often stand in the way of objective understanding the participants in the conference also recognized that the consent forms used in prison experiments were often less than perfect they understood that the waiver or release components of many forms were probably inappropriate they also recognized that reasonably predictable risks of an experiment were not always carefully listed on consent forms but at the same time they agreed that no serious risk should ever be disguised or concealed on these forms in sum the records from this conference suggest that even apart from formal federal rules for experimentation on prisoners ethical conditions for the conduct of prison research were articulated in the early nineteen sixties 
now with these conditions in mind let us turn to a more detailed analysis of the washington and oregon testicular irradiation experiments as we have noted the committee's ability to assess the quality of consent obtained from a research subject thirty or forty years earlier can be confounded in a thousand ways to begin with the records are invariably incomplete then the investigators are either no longer alive or their memories have grown hazy or selective with time the same is true of subjects and of course there are confidentiality considerations which limit the availability of records the concern of researchers for their reputations and so on all of these considerations to greater or lesser degrees apply to the oregon and washington experiments with respect to these experiments however we believe we have a clear enough picture of the standards and practices of the time to evaluate the conduct of the research against them without reference to the standards and practices of today. in both oregon and washington some subjects were not warned warned only after enrolling in the experimental program or inadequately warned that there was potential risk albeit small of testicular cancer while it might not have been uncommon at the time for physicians to avoid using the word cancer with sick or even terminally ill patients for paternalistic reasons such avoidance is harder to justify even by the standards of the time in the case of healthy subjects who are participating in research that offers them no direct benefit as far as acute effects are concerned the pain of testicular biopsy may have been understated in both programs and the risk of orchitis from repeated biopsies seems to have been ignored some former subjects have complained of long-term pain sexual dysfunction and skin rashes it is not clear whether these conditions were caused by the experiments nor is it certain that long-term medical follow-up can answer this question subjects in both sets of experiments were required to have a vasectomy at the end of the program because of concerns about possible chromosomal damage in both cases the vasectomy consent forms signed by the subjects and their wives if they were married adequately described the procedure its consequences and the small possibility it could be reversed however appropriate questions have been raised about the reasons inmates might agree to vasectomy in the circumstances of prison research and the possibility as actually occurred in a number of cases that in the end the subject would refuse to undergo the procedure finally there appears to be little doubt that the financial incentives offered for participation were the main reason most inmates volunteered payments totaling more than one hundred dollars could be seen as unduly influencing the judgment of potential volunteers while money also is a powerful incentive for research participation outside prison walls we believe that the conditions of confinement can magnify the perceived value of the reward whether the payments offered to participants in these programs constitute an unfair inducement to participate in research may vary from inmate to inmate while the prison experiments were unethical with respect to current requirements for disclosure of risk and non-coercion the researchers functioned during a period of rapid evolution of the interpretation of ethical principles in the prison context their actions however were less than fully consistent with the existing aec requirements especially concerning the information the prisoner subjects were provided End of section forty eight